What if there was a guide to figuring people out? Well, apparently there is, and you can learn about it when you listen to me interview Vanessa Van Edwards, the author of Captivate, The Science of Succeeding with People. Check it out. This episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast is brought to you by Active Campaign. This is really my new go-to CRM, ESP, marketing automation, really low cost. Any size business can get into it, uh, starting at like 19 bucks a month. You can keep track of your clients. You can see who is visiting your website. You can follow up based on behavior. Check out Active Campaign. There'll be a link in the show notes, but it's ducttape.me slash DTM active. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is John Jantz and my guest today is Vanessa Van Edwards. She is a behavioral investigator, author, public speaking, and body language trainer. I bet you she has fun telling people that. Uh, she's also the author of a book called Captivate, The Science of Succeeding with People and hangs out at scienceofpeople.com. So Vanessa, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. So your book delivers on the premise of figuring, being able to figure out what makes people tick. Um, that's almost a little scary, isn't it? A little bit. It's kind of, it's kind of like a secret superpower. Um, and it's especially for people. I was one of those people where people skills just did not come naturally to me. And so I was like, if there was a computer programming book, but for people, what would that book be like? And that was how I sort of came up with the idea. Well, what's interesting is that I'm. My first thought is, oh, okay, I'm going to read this book so that I can figure out what people are doing and thinking and read their body language. And it immediately became apparent to me that, wait a minute, I'm doing some of those things you're talking about. And it's really, it's really, it probably starts with self awareness, doesn't it? Yeah, I think that the you're your you're your own best expert, right? Like you've been living with yourself for um, more years than anyone else. And so it's very helpful when you can have personal aha moments. Like, for example, we talk about speed reading. And speed reading is something that um, speed reading people, not speed reading books. Yeah. And that's always something I've been fascinated with because in first impressions, you have this three to seven second window where you basically have to decide, do I like this person? Do I trust this person? Do I want to work with this person? And so I was like, if you had to speed read someone for all of those things very quickly, what would you do? It's so much more helpful if you know how people speed read you um, to be able to see it and recognize it in others. Yeah. So how much of it, though, is – I mean we all see a group of people and think, oh, I'm attracted to that person. I mean maybe it's just purely out of I think that person is attractive. Uh, I mean so how much of it, the first impression is that? So attraction is an interesting topic that you bring up. Um, when I think about attraction, I think that it's usually only used for physical attraction, right? We think, mm -hmm. oh, like, you know, that person is beautiful or that right. person is handsome. But I actually think attraction is much more than that. I think that we can be, we can have business crushes. I think we can have social crushes. Um, and that's when something hooks you or grabs you. And a lot of it actually has to do with similarity as opposed to physicality. And what I mean by that is there's a really, really interesting study about the similarity attraction effect, which basically talks about how we love people who are similar to us so much so that this is not just values. We're even most attracted to people who have the most 
psychological have most similar psychological issues to us. Mm. So in, in this kind of this is a very I'm going to take it to the extreme so we can use it, you know, in more um, simple situations. But in this one of the studies that they did is they had people take um, personality disorder tests. So everything from um, narcissism to borderline personality to manic depression, they had them take all these tests and they kind of placed them on a spectrum. Most people um, fall on a spectrum for these different personality disorders. And they found that when they asked people to rate their headshots on attractiveness, people chose someone who was most similar to their own disorder. So in other words, we are we like our own kind of crazy, if that. <laughs> but, but, but that's without knowledge of what that disorder was? I mean, it was just yes. purely the some, something about the structure of the face gave it away? Yes, the structure of the space, the micro face, the micro expression, the body yeah. language. Huh. It was just a very simple headshot. And they think that there's something about, you know, when we are, when we know someone, we're both comfortable with them because it feels right. familiar and we feel less scared that we will be judged. Huh. So for example, all of us, and this is a, a big statement I think I'm <laughs> going to make, but all of us usually have something that we're afraid people are going to find out. Mm. So in most social interactions, we are in a way carrying a secret with us. Yeah. Now that secret could be something as small as, um, uh, I, I'm uh, I'm extremely shy. Could that could be something very simple, or it could be something as big as um, I, I I take pills or whatever it is, or you know yeah. something like that. Yeah. And, and so when we feel like someone might have the same secret, it makes us feel less afraid. Well, I do know every time I go on stage, I'm afraid people are going to understand that I'm a complete fraud. So. Um. Mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> Isn't that yes. a really common fear? I mean, I'm, I'm joking. Well, halfway joking. Um, but that's that's a real common fear, I think, with speakers is that they feel like I'm put up here and I'm supposed to be important and the expert in this and that. But there's a side of me that wonders if I even know what I'm talking about. Yes. A classic imposter syndrome. And the interesting thing about imposter syndrome, and I have the same thing, um, is that I believe that Fear is this really interesting emotion that I call it a cross-dresser. I think that fear is this emotion that cross-dresses or dresses up as other emotions. So, for example, if, some, if you're afraid that the audience is going to um, think that you're a fraud, that fear doesn't actually come out as nervousness. It might come out as um, cockiness or inappropriate humor right, right, right. or um you, over overly personal right it comes out as other things mm -hmm. and so a lot of the time when we're talking about um unique people or difficult people or you know misunderstandings i always ask how is their fear dressing up that helps you solve a lot of their problems so you have broken this book uh, very conveniently, I think, into a couple sections with fives, um, the first five minutes, the first five hours, the first five days. Um, and, and it really does kind of compartmentalize a lot of, of this. But let's uh, let's start with the first five minutes, because that everybody knows that whole first impression. You know, we all want to be instantly um, likable. Uh, so what are some of the the best practices, if you will, to become instantly likable, because I, I, I know everybody wants this and it probably is different for everyone. Yeah. Um, so I think that the biggest one that we don't hear about, because I think that the first impression is talked about quite a lot. The one that um, took me longer to figure out because I just didn't hear this as much was that um, when you think about social interactions, you actually have to think of it like playing a sports team, playing on a sports team or playing a game in that um, if you do not optimize to your natural abilities, you will have to work mm -hmm. way harder than everyone else. Yeah. 
And so I accidentally discovered this because, you know, in my 20s, uh, I'm so glad I'm out of my 20s. I'm so glad. Um, when I was in my 20s, it was like loud bars, concerts, nightclubs. And I would go to these birthday parties or these events and just be miserable. I mean, just be, I, I it was like, forget interesting conversation. It was like, just try to not hide in a corner. Um, that was sort of me. And I, what I realized was, is that was not how I best interact with people. Everyone has a different flavor of charisma. And most books teach only one flavor of charisma. They teach the bubbly extrovert. Yeah, do these but, things. Yeah, but if yeah. you're not a bubbly extrovert, yeah. it is so much harder to do that. So my, my brand of charisma is one-on-one -on -one conversations. And so I optimize now my social interactions before I even show up to where I thrive. So what I would challenge everyone listening to think about is before you even show up and make the first impression is like, what is your sport? Like, where do you thrive? Is it like small parties, is it dinner parties? Is it teaching, right? Like, is it conferences and workshops? Um, what is the best way that you interact? Because that is going to be much easier to optimize than trying to do it in a place where you survive. So one of the things, my, my, I reference my father all the time. He was like my mentor for sales um, because he was just the, you know, the old kind of bag carrying door to door, not door to door necessarily, but town to town uh, yeah. salesperson. And one of the things I remember him telling me is that uh, he would go, quite often he would go call on somebody and he would kind of model their behavior. If they were very slouchy in their chair, he would get that way. If they were, you know, very erect and, you know, leaning forward, he would, you know, he would do that. And he, there was a feeling that this kind of modeling made him more likable because it made him more like them. Is there any truth in that? Yeah, very much. Um, that's a, that's a very intuitive, um, sales tactic in the sense that we have what are called mirror neurons. So if we, sense that someone, we automatically try to mirror the person we're with. And the more that we are like them in terms of body language or voice tone, the more we feel like, ah, this person gets me. What's interesting about this is, um, I, I experienced this in a different way. I was at a hotel and I was checking out really early in the morning. I think my flight was like 6am, something terrible. And so like, I'm like barely awake, rolling my bags in the lobby and the concierge to check me out or the desk person was like, good morning. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and like, I just looked at her and I realized it was a really interesting moment of she has been taught that a good salesperson like that one brand of charisma, the bubbly extrovert should always be friendly and chipper and smiling. Yeah. But the context and my, my emotional level did not match. I was clearly exhausted and barely awake. She would have much been, been better off in a lower, more whisper-like voice saying, good morning, how is it going this morning? Can I help you check out quickly? Yeah. Like that would have matched me better. And so I, I think that mirroring and matching is important for the person, but also contextually, right? Like right, right, right. time of day, where you are, don't take every um, piece of sales advice by itself. So where does um, the fact that people get really good at this or they're maybe more intuitive of this and then they actually, it actually turns into manipulation or kind of faking who you really are? I mean, what, where does that come into this conversation? Oh, such a good question. So I despise the phrase, fake it till you make it. Um, I, I just... I think it just sends the wrong message. Um, research shows that we can we can sense inauthenticity in, in a second, and so I think that like showing up to an event and and you know pretending to be something you're not until it happens, this doesn't work. So, 
Um, I, first of all, I think it's never trying to be something that you're not, which we've heard before, but the more practical aspect of that, so you avoid that very fine line between behavior hacking, which is what I do and manipulation. And there's a very fine line there is I think always using your powers for good, not evil. So if my number one goal in interacting with someone at a networking event or a conference is to figure out as much as I possibly can about them so I can better serve them. Right. That to me feels like a very authentic and good motivation. If someone says to me, oh, I want to use your speed reading techniques and your personality science to um, convince someone into paying double, even though they can't afford it. No, (laughs) like like that is, I think, using powers for evil and not good. So I think it's actually your intention going into it as opposed to what skills you use. How important are some of the very common things people talk about? Eye contact, handshakes, you know, looking down at your shoes, crossing your legs when you, you know, all of those kind of body language things that people do, they probably don't even realize they're doing. I mean, do we need, you know, is there a handshake that has, you know, we have to practice if we, you know, if we don't do it well, I mean, are, are those elements, um, something that you just have to sort of swallow and, and do? Yeah. You know, so I decided in this book to not go with sort of the basics that we've heard all before. So I don't really talk about that very much. However, I think that what you ask is really important in the sense of like, okay, do you just, you know, suck it up and do the handshake and the, and the eye contact. The problem with, with body language specifically is that not all eye contact is created equal. Not all handshakes are created equal. So for example, if you look at, um, handshake science, for instance, a lot of MBAs have been taught, always make the handshake, always, you know, go in for the handshake, get that bond. That is true. However, if you go in for a handshake that is either um, that you flip someone up or down, so it's not a vertical handshake. And what I mean by that is if you hold out your hands, like kind of in the air right now, I'm doing it right now, you can't see me, but if you hold your hand out to shake, your, your thumb should be up towards the ceiling and your pinky should be down to the floor, right? Totally vertical. If you have someone who tilts their hands, their palm is facing the floor and their back of their hand is facing the ceiling, that is actually a very dominant handshake. And it can come across as quite domineering, very controlling. And so if you're making a handshake where you're accidentally sending off the wrong body language signals, which is called encoding, then it's actually worse. You know, you're, you're sending off the wrong signals. So I always say with things that sound simple, it's usually not as simple as you think. And you want to make sure that you're doing it in a way that's encoding in the right ways. So for a handshake, always make sure that you're keeping it very vertical. You're never flipping up or flipping down. Um, And you're also making sure that you're squeezing uh, the the tension. You're squeezing like a peach. And um, the best way, this is the best way I can think to describe a handshake is you know that you're going too hard or too soft when you squeeze someone and they squeeze back, just like a peach. Like if you pick up a peach at the grocery store and you squeeze to see if it's ripe, it's soft at first. And then as soon as you feel a little bit of hardness, you stop squeezing. It's the exact same thing with a handshake. So that way you're kind of gauging to not overshake someone's hand um, if their level of firmness is different than yours. This episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast is brought to you by Thrive Leads. This is a tool that we use on the Duct Tape Marketing website uh, thoroughly for content upgrades, for slide-in boxes. Actually, we even use the visual editor for all the pages and landing pages that we design. So go check it out at uh, ducttapemarketing.com. We'll have a special link uh, in the show notes for today and uh, check it out. So do you find yourself, um, I'm a little side path here, uh, do you find yourself constant, constantly analyzing? 
um, <laughs> you know, handshakes and eye contact and the way people stand and you know all those things. I'm by the way I'm standing very tall right now with my hands on my hips by the way I can hear it I can hear it <laughs> <laughs> I like it um Yes and no. However, I did sign up for that. And what I mean by that is when I was younger, I always joke that I'm a recovering awkward person. I was so obsessed with trying to read people that had no skills to read people that I was constantly questioning myself. So when I finally learned the skills to read micro expressions and handshakes and pick up the decoding and encoding signals, it was actually a relief for me. Like I find that as a non-natural people person, that for me feels like information. It makes me calmer. It makes me feel like I'm in control. So that works for me. Um, but I, I do think that it gets a lot more natural after a while. So yeah. yes, but I think that I want it that way. If that makes sense. Yep, absolutely. So uh, a lot of business folks end up you know, using these kinds of skills or needing these kinds of skills in sales uh, situations. But uh, probably more often than not, it's that dreaded kind of networking event that uh, oh, yeah. that they end up uh, you know, having more anxiety about. And you have in the book, I think uh, it's fascinating. I felt like I was reading a, uh, you know, a sports playbook um, <laughs> on uh, exactly how to kind of attack a room or, uh, yeah. or work a networking event. And, and not, again, not in a sort of fake way, but just in kind of the most efficient, optimized way, but with a little bit of data behind it. And you want to explain kind of your, I know it's, it's, it's a whole chapter almost, uh, yeah. us, but uh, you want to explain kind of that idea? Oh, I would love it. So this was an experiment that I did where, um, again, nothing comes naturally to me. So assume that I was a blank slate socially and I would walk into a networking event or a party or a conference and be like, what do I do first? Where do I stand? How do I talk to people? Like, and just be like, and, and what would end up happening is I would be frozen at the door, like kind of like hovering the door or like hovering by the bathroom. Right. Um, and so what I did was I'd set up an experiment. So I run a human behavior research lab. And what we did is we asked events if we could film their networking events, their conferences, their big open rooms from every angle. So we had a corner in each, uh, a camera in each corner and then also track people as they move throughout the event. So when someone came to an event, we did this with hundreds of people, they filled out a little preform that said something like, um, what's your goal tonight? How do you feel about networking? And, um, uh, how many people do you already know here? Or do you think you'll know? Mm. And then we would track people as they moved throughout the event. We would count how many handshakes they had. And then at the end of the event, we would ask them, how many cards did you get? Did you uh, complete your goals for this networking event? And then we would look at their contacts on LinkedIn, basically trying to find what super networkers do differently to work a room, literally physically to work a room. Um, and we ended up finding there was very similar patterns between these top networkers. And we, we when I mean, when I say top networkers, I don't necessarily mean quantity connections. I mean, quality connections. So they were getting the most business cards and then following up with those people afterwards. Um, they tended to have more longer and warmer interactions. What we found was, is they avoided, I, I split up a room into the side zone, the start zone and the social zone. And uh, so you want to avoid the side zone. Uh, hovering by the bathroom and hovering by the food is actually, that was a no-go zone. People made very little connections there. Uh, the start zone, another place you did not want to stand. Surprisingly, you don't want to hover right as people enter because they're kind of getting their bearings and they're probably going to excuse themselves from talking to you faster. And instead, I, I 
we found this social zone, these sweet spots. Um, and one of them, our favorites, there's three of them. One of them is standing right where people at the bar. Um, that seems to be where all the super networkers stood to make new connections as well as kind of revive old ones. Right as someone like like turns their back to the bar, they have a fresh drink in their hands and they're like looking at the room going, who am I going to talk to? You are their savior. Like you are the person who's right there being like, hey, so how's the wine? Right. <laughs> really easy opening line. And it just works like magic. So have you found, um, I, know, I know the first time that I started uh, pretty routinely getting uh, or seeing video of me speaking, I was aghast at a few of my habits. Um, <laughs> and I was like, oh, I got to stop doing that. Um, oh, yeah. And are, are there kind of some common body language things that a lot of people do that you're, for various reasons maybe, but that you kind of say, look, you just don't ever do those things? Oh, gosh, there are so many. Um, yeah, uh, I would say the, the biggest one that I see the most common, remember that we watched thousands of hours of these uh, networking events. Um, and, and it was fascinating from a different level in terms of like office crushes and things like that. I, I joke that I can always tell who has an office crush on who. And one of the reasons for this is because we pay a lot of attention to feet. Mm -hmm. um, feet are like the hidden keys in body language. And the reason for that is because most people are unaware of their foot behavior and also don't think it matters because it's so far from our line of sight. Like if you're talking to someone at a networking event, you actually cannot see someone's feet without specifically looking down at their feet. We can see their hand gestures out of the corner of our eye. You know, we can see kind of their torso, but feet, if you have the opportunity to look and or you're in control of your own feet is something that's called distancing behavior. So distancing behavior is when someone literally takes a step back pivots their foot out or angles out or rocks back and opens up. Um, what this means is basically that someone is a little bit less engaged and it can happen for a variety of reasons. Like someone could angle out or step back because they have to check their parking or because they're bored or because um, someone said something they didn't like. Um, you can almost sense or see the moment in a conversation where someone says something that they're offended by because they will lean back, take a step back or pivot out. And so I'm always very, very aware of where is someone's, where are someone's feet when we first start talking, right? So do they have one foot out? That To me, that usually means like, they're not like 100% in with me, which is totally fine. I need to work, I need to work that connection a little bit more. Um, or they're really aligned with me, both their feet are facing towards me, and then I lose them midway through the conversation. And I might even say like, hey, let's get a drink refill, you know, or, um, you know, I'll, I'll catch up with you later. I'm going to go grab something, from, grab, grab something from the buffet. Um, that is a subtle signal to know what someone's thinking. And for yourself, if you want to show engagement, you want to make sure that you're angling towards the person as much as possible. So there, I, I don't watch a ton of television, but the uh, other day I came, came across a show that I watched for about 10 minutes called The Mentalist. And I noticed that you had it on your site. And um, how much... Well, so set it up. The premise of that is uh, this person is a specialist in watching jurors, I think it is, um, and, and their body language and really with kind of helping law firms or lawyers uh, figure out who's with them, who's not against them, what message is hitting. Um, how much truth is there to that uh, show? I, you know, I wish I knew like specifics. I would say that some of the human behavior truth they speak of, especially when they reference a specific scientific topic, mm -hmm. it is, it is accurate. So like they'll, they'll, they'll say something like according to the similarity attraction effect, or, you know, according to the Ikea effect, that is usually when they're hitting on a truth. Now how they use the truth 
<laughs> a little bit more fiction. Right, right. But I, the reason why I think it's interesting is because they'll often bring up universal human behavior truths that have been studied in, psycholo in psychological peer-reviewed citation studies, which are great, um, to sort of see how you would apply in your life. What's a, more, a little bit more accurate one, if you want to know the actual science, is the show Lie to Me, uh, which is on Netflix. It's a great show. That show um, is based on a real-life man who I feature in the book. His name is Dr. Paul Ekman, and he discovered the microexpression. What Dr. Paul Ekman did when he worked with the show is he actually has a blog with every single episode hmm. and he tells you that the real and fake science of every single episode um, and so I love that because he actually tells you what's real and not so I would often watch that show and then pull up the blog and read it alongside the show so that's actually my favorite one for learning real human behavior tricks so I'm speaking with Vanessa Van Edwards. She's the author of Captivate, which is available in April of 2017. Um, one last question. So yeah. we already talked about a huge benefit. People want to be likable. Mm -hmm. But you uh, suggest that there are far greater benefits, like making more money, getting the positions you want, influencing people <laughs> that, that, that really come into play here. So you want to talk a little bit about kind of the expanded benefits of this idea? Yeah, I think that uh, PQ is the new IQ. You know, we, we talk about PQ, we talk about people intelligence, and we have uh, we've known that social and emotional intelligence is important, but we haven't known how important it is. And there are so many studies that show that when you go into an interview or a negotiation or a meeting and you prepare all the things you want to say, actually someone decides how they feel about you within the first five to 20 seconds. Mm -hmm. And that has a lot to do with body language, first impressions, opening lines, and then the rapport building that happens after that confirms that rule that they hope that they made, that good rule they hopefully made from the beginning. And so a lot of people work really hard on their technical skills. And I don't know about people listening, but I felt a little um, fooled by schools in a certain sense. I focused a lot on my grades and my technical skills. And so I completely neglected all the people skills, the soft skills. And so I think that we can turn soft skills into hard skills. I do not think it has to be gray. I think it can be black and white. And that is, I think, far more beneficial for us as adults. We're trying to get ahead. It's the missing link, I think, in a lot of people's success. So at the science of people, you have, um, and, and part of the book, you have a PQ test, which I think is uh, rather fascinating. I have not completed it yet, but I'll let, I'll let you know how I do. Um, yes. <laughs> but uh, you also have some bonuses uh, for book buyers. You want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So we, um, I knew that people would be picking up the book for different reasons. Um, some people for business, some people singles want to up their romance life, other people wanting to make friends. And so, um, when you get the book, we also have a, uh, kind of choose your own adventure, the, the chapters that are best for romance, business, or social, depending on your, on your flavor. Um, we also have a chapter that we didn't put in the book that, um, is sort of the hidden extra chapter where I talk about being a human Swiss army knife, which is, uh, just like, you know, you want to learn karate moves for every potentially dangerous situation. I will give you all those um, secret moves that you can put in any social situation. So those are kind of some fun extras as well as we have a bunch of videos and stuff, too. If you're a visual learner, I get it. We have a lot of videos, too. Awesome. Vanessa, thanks so much for joining us. Pick up uh, Captivate the Science of Succeeding with People. And hopefully uh, we'll see you next time I'm in Portland. Thank you so much, John.